peace be with you. All right, let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, be here as a, as a family of believers. I pray, Father, that you will allow your word to go forth and that you allow it to uh, set and settle on uh, a fertile ground, on uh, faithful ground, good soil, uh, so that we uh, may grow as disciples of yours. I pray, Father God, that you may allow us to see how, how vast your love is for us. I pray, Father God, that you would calm our hearts and our minds and allow us to take every thought captive as we seek to pay attention to your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right. Well, generally, uh, whenever we uh, are preaching through a book of the Bible and, and talking about the Bible, we uh, normally kind of hang everything on uh, principles and maybe uh, propositions, and especially as we've been going through the book of Galatians. But today I want to do something a little different. I want to move through uh, the sermon by giving you four images, four images, three of which uh, kind of stuck out to me just as I was uh, reading and preparing the sermon from the text, uh, one of which... Uh, uh, was at the forefront of my mind as I just thought, up, thought about uh, how Peter uh, was confronted by the Apostle Paul. Four images. The first image that I want to draw our mind to and our imagination to is the Im image of a whale, uh, a drinking well. Uh, the image of an old uh, drinking well. And for a second, I just want you to imagine that around this old drinking well, there are uh, people in a community, uh, perhaps in an in a ancient community, they're around this well, and they have realized that this well isn't doing a great job of giving them a lot of water. And so they're having a debate about what to do with it. And one person uh, kind of says with a smile, well, I think what we should do is we should just kind of uh, tear uh, out this external uh, structure, these, these bricks, and just make it, make it wider. Uh, that way we can get more water. And everyone kind of laughs and chuckles. Why? Because they know that in order to uh, get more water, it, it doesn't matter if you kind of uh, tear this, this, this brick structure, this stone structure um, out. What matters is how deep you go, how, 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 how deep um, into the ground you go to get, to get water. And this picture to me is important because uh, what we see happening in this passage is that the Apostle Paul, uh, just before the verses that we read, uh, confronts another apostle, apostle by the name of Peter. And this text that we're about to go through, in my opinion, is one of the uh, most uh, central and important texts in the book of Galatians. Because it's in this text that that the Apostle Paul is about to show them that the, the problem that you all have experienced in Antioch and the problem that Peter had and the reason I had to confront him is, is an issue of depth. And the well that you have been drinking from, this gospel well um, is there, but you all haven't been going deep enough in the gospel. Uh, your gospel understanding is too shallow. And the reason that there is division uh, in the, the body at Antioch is, is because there's a, a gospel issue. And so uh, today I want to put on the screen just kind of our, our proposition or our main uh, points just about the gospel. And here's our, our big idea. Should be the next slide. Okay. Uh, and here's what we're going to argue today. A strong gospel of grace, it leads to healthy relationships. 
And a shallow gospel of grace leads to shattered or superficial relationships. And I want to challenge you today to draw deeply from God's grace to experience healthy relationships as opposed to superficial or even shattered ones. Because what's happening in the church is this disunity, and it's a result of Peter and the, the, the Judaizers, those who are saying that, it's, uh, that righteousness comes through the law and not through Jesus. And perhaps even Jewish Christians who essentially uh, were saying, yes, uh, 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 our, our justification, yes, our identity is found in Jesus, but it's not Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus uh, Jewishness or Jesus plus uh, the Mosaic law, Jesus plus circumcision. And, and as a result, division happened. But what Paul is going to encourage the church to do is to draw deeply from God's grace. And as a result of drawing deeply from God's grace, God's gospel uh, they can experience true, true unity. So the second picture I want to give you, and even as we talk about a drinking well, let's, let's remind ourselves here at Sojourn, what we uh, often uh, say is, is that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. Because some of us, when we hear the gospel, we're like, oh, I know the gospel. It's like I know my ABCs. I can kind of turn off my brain um, and think about something else. Uh, but it's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Zs. And in fact, whatever conflict there is in the church, and whenever we find conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ, if we trace that conflict all the way back to the heart of the matter, um, I'm willing to, to bet that there is an, an issue uh, there that the gospel can address that we're not allowing to address whether it's in our heart or in someone else's heart, because most of our conflict, most of the time when ugliness comes out, most of the times when we're throwing a fit or showing out, most of the times when we're uh, uh, separating ourselves like Peter did from other Gentile Christians, when we refuse to have fellowship with someone, it, it really goes back to our identity. It really goes back to where we're finding our significance and our value. And so, Paul here is going to talk to Peter. He's going to take Peter deeper into the gospel. And he's going to do this by taking him and giving him a picture of a courtroom. That's our second image, a courtroom. And as we talk about this courtroom, we want to understand that, that the point that Paul is making is he's calling the church to find justification by faith in Christ alone. Now, notice what he says here in verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What is he saying here? Is he saying that as, as Jewish people, uh, that they are, are sinless? Uh, no, that's not what he's saying, but he's acknowledging this reality that uh, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people were God's chosen people, God's chosen vessel in which God was going to bring light to the world and to other nations. The Jewish people were the people that received uh, the covenant. The Jewish people were the people that received the, the promises of God. The Jewish people were the people who had received a, a word from, from the, the prophets of God. And so he's acknowledging that and he's saying, I know and I understand in the way that you all are thinking that we are, are born Jewish and we're not Gentile sinners. But look at what he said in, in verse 16. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Now, you see that over and over in that text, he uses a word and the word is justified. 
And that's a legal term. To be justified means to be declared righteous. It means to be declared innocent. It means to be declared right. And what uh, Paul is saying here is he's giving us a picture of a courtroom and a defendant who is, is waiting to receive a verdict. And that verdict, if that defendant is declared, declared guilty, will come with a penalty. But if that defendant is, is declared righteous, that defendant is able to go free. And what he's saying is, is that we as even Jewish Christians, we understand that what declares us righteous that what makes us right with God, that what allows us to be seen as innocent, he says, is not the works of the law. And this is a broad category that he's saying intentionally to, to his uh, uh, Jewish readers and to those Judaizers who would hear and read this letter. He's saying what makes one right with God is not one's ability to keep the Mosaic law. It's not because one is circumcised. It's not because one keeps up with the Torah's uh, uh, dietary laws. What makes one right with God is belief in Christ Jesus and in him alone. And this is the doctrine or the teaching of justification by faith that God in Christ Jesus declares us righteous. It's a declaration that has a real reality in our lives every single day. And so what Peter and, and specifically other Jewish Christians and Barnabas what they were doing by not having fellowship with Gentile Christians, essentially what they were saying is, is that Jesus isn't enough to make you right. That Jesus isn't enough to, to make you in the inner circle. That we have as, 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 as Jews a moral advantage inherently. And Paul is saying, no, even though you were born Jewish, it doesn't mean that you have a moral advantage because you too are sinners apart from Jesus Christ and you are separated from him and lost without his righteousness. But there's something in human nature there's something in all of us, ever since the Adamic uh, 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 fall and ever since, since Adam and Eve uh, sinned, there's something in us that wants to find our righteousness in our works. There's something in us that wants to compare ourselves to the next person. Adam and Eve, they sin in the garden, they fall, and the Bible says that shame comes upon them and their natural inclination or response now that their eyes are open is to see their differences and to allow their differences to divide. And so they cover themselves with fig leaves and they hide from each other. They try to justify themselves with their own creation. And the Bible says that this fig leaf covering isn't enough. So what does God do once, once uh, he, he confronts them? He makes the first sacrifice in the Bible and he covers them. He covers them himself. See, our works, our fig leaves, our righteousness is never enough to satisfy God the Father. God, God the Father is too. God the Father is too holy. Our, our works are too 
miniature, too, uh, 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 too tiny, too, uh, too stained with sin. God, God, is, God is holy and, and perfect. And the only thing that can satisfy this holy and perfect God is a perfect sacrifice. And as Christians, this perfect uh, sacrifice is Christ and what he has done for us and how he has satisfied God's wrath. Isaiah said that our righteousness, our good works is as filthy rags before the Father. In our English translations, they uh, put that term filthy rags in there. And that's that's really a a nicety. That's really the translators being kind because the literal translation is, is that our good works, our righteousness before a holy God is as a minister cloth. Your best deeds fall short of satisfying God. And here's the thing. Like these Judaizers, like even some of these Jewish Christians who are generally struggling, they're generally trying to wrap their mind around the fact that the law is not what makes them right. Um, we do the same thing. We seek justification outside of Christ. We seek justification outside of what God has provided, this alien righteousness, this, this outside righteousness that we need. And I do it. I do it as a pastor. I remember some years ago after uh, preaching a sermon, I was just so down on Monday morning. I was talking to an older, older pastor and I was just in a rut just uh, remunerating on all the things I could have done uh, with the text and all the things I could have said. And that, man, that happens to preachers all the time. On Monday morning, all of a sudden, the outline is clear, right? The illustrations come, you're like, yes. And I'll never forget an older pastor telling me, he says, Jamal, it's justification by faith in Christ. It's not justification by your preaching. It's not justification by you being an outstanding pastor. It's not justification by you having the right things to say to your members. It's justification by faith. And the same is true for you. Like, what are you finding your justification in? At the end of the day, what makes you right with God? What puts that stamp on you that says, I am living for God? For some of us, it's justification by parenting. If you have a bad day as a a parent, you feel like all things are lost. Some of us is justification by, of being a good husband or justification of, of being a good wife or, or justification of, by, by knowing our Bibles really well or justification by, by coming to church or justification by, by fasting or justification by filling the blank. But here's the truth. If you think that your good works is what's going to make you right with God and one day allow you to enter into eternal glory with them and essentially is what's central to you finding eternal life, you are wrong and horribly mistaken. Paul says here three times in one verse that we're justified by faith in Christ, period. And may we look at this text and may we look at other people and and see the gospel rightly. And see that we ourselves, we don't have a moral advantage because of something that is good within ourselves. That only what makes us right is Christ. There's a third picture here, and it's a picture of a construction zone. It's a picture of a construction zone. And and what this picture uh, should remind us or tell us is to stop rebuilding 
what has been torn down, to stop rebuilding what has been torn down. Look at your Bibles. Now, let's follow uh, Paul's argument here. Verse 17, but if we ourselves are also found to be sinners, we ourselves, he's now remember he's talking to Peter and, and Barnabas and other uh, uh, Jewish Christians. If we are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a, a lawbreaker. Now, this is, this is a couple heavy sentences, right? And I wrestled with them for hours this week and, and trying to understand. I, and I think John Stott does a great job when he says this and kind of summarizing this section. And what he's doing is he's, he's basically saying this is how uh, what the Apostle Paul or how he was responding uh, to those who he's writing. And he's trying to get behind uh, uh, their heart issue and, and what he's trying to get to in, in, his, in his teaching. He says this, your teaching of justification through faith in Jesus only, apart from works of the law, is a highly dangerous teaching. And this is what he's saying that they were saying. It fatally weakens a person's sense of moral responsibility. If they can be accepted through trusting Christ without any necessity to do good works, you are actually encouraging them to break the law. You are encouraging sin. And to this day, many argue if God justifies bad people, what is the point of being good? Can we do as we like and live as we please? And Paul's response to that and, and, and asking the question, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Is absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he goes on to say, if I rebuild those things that I, I tore down, I show myself uh, to be a, a lawbreaker. So uh, uh, simultaneously, what Paul is doing is he is, is addressing uh, 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 two, uh, uh, two errors. It's what the North uh, African uh, theologian Tertullian um, had calls two thieves. He says, just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification, this doctrine of being declared right by God, by faith in Christ, is ever crucified between two opposite errors. And what's the two opposite errors? One is legalism. Legalism is a strict adherence to the law. It's strictly following a law uh, so much so till we miss the point of the law and we're, we're, we're no longer uh, living by faith in Christ. It's all about that law. And the second is, is license. And this is an understanding. Since I accepted Jesus Christ by faith um, uh, uh, through the grace of God, um, I can live however I want to live. And this is probably what some um, people uh, in the Galatian church is hearing as Paul talks about justification by faith. They're hearing Paul say that the moral law, the Mosaic law, the Torah is now set aside and now uh, you can live and do anything you want to do. They're probably confused at what Gentiles are, are eating and they have this mindset that the food that they're eating are un, is unclean. And they're saying, look at this, look at Peter, look at Barnabas, look at them eat with, with Gentile Christians. Look at how loose they're living. And Paul is saying, no. When I preach the grace of God, I'm not saying that Christ is promoting sin. When I preach the grace of God, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12 says, for the grace of God has now appeared. The grace of God has now appeared, teaching man to say no to ungodliness. 
And there in that text, he talks about how God's grace not only saves, but how God's grace, it sanctifies. And so if you're a person here and you say that I've been saved by Jesus by just, and justified by his righteousness, and now I can do whatever I want to do, then you have misunderstood grace. Grace trains us. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It doesn't just save us, it sanctifies us. And perhaps you're a non-Christian here, and what keeps you from being a Christian is just that. It's these two kind of uh, uh, things. One, perhaps, as you look at Christians and you say, it's all about rules, it's all about what you can't do, it's all about coming off a certain way and, and looking a certain way, and, 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 and I can't do that. Or maybe you're the other person and you say, you know, being a, being a Christian, I just don't understand. I look at my Christian friends at work, and, and man, they live just like me. And I want you to know that those are two perverted views of Christianity. Christianity is not about rules for the sake of rules. Yes, there are boundaries. Yes, the Bible calls us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as thyself. But the intent is just that, is to love God and to love people. So Paul here gives us this picture of a construction zone, and he says, listen to this. Listen to these words that he says. I think it's just, just beautiful. In verse 18, if I rebuild those things I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. In Philippians 3, he talks about how he was zealous, how he was a leader amongst the Hebrew people, a true Benjamite. But he came to see that all that he did was, was, was lost and it was dumb. And he left it all behind in order to know Christ Jesus to know his worth, to know his love. And Paul is saying, me uh, subjecting Gentile Christians to a Jewish way of life is like me rebuilding that old life over and over again. And so my question to you today, Christian, is what are you rebuilding? Like what are the things that you are finding your identity in? You are finding justification in. And not only that, is, is what are you putting on other people? Because the source of a lot of disunity in the body of Christ is not about main things. The source of a lot of disunity in churches is about peripheral things. It's about preferential things. It's about our own pet peeves. And it's not about the gospel. And there's so much brokenness in, the, in our churches. There's so much division. There's such a, a lack of table fellowship. There's such a lack of, of intimacy and getting to know each other because we have put up these, these principles and these laws and these way of living that keeps our brothers and sisters kind of stiff armed and at, at a distance. And as a result, not only are we uh, held back and not growing and all that God has called us to grow, but the world looks in the church and they say, oh, this is just another social club like any other social club where people just kind of gather together uh, naturally uh, by, uh, by the way in which they feel comfortable. But the church is not a place that we come to for comfort. The church is not a place that we come to where people uh, from the outside can look in and say this is just a natural work. No, the church is a place where the Holy Spirit is working and building in supernatural ways. And when we rebuild these walls, and make these, these laws, we do so in the flesh. 
real quick. This is not, uh, this is not in, the, in the back on the screen, but I just want to take us somewhere real quick. Uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you might have to be old school right now and actually have to turn a page in your Bible or flip out your phone. You're like, what's happening? It's not on the screen. Oh, my goodness. This is a breakdown. Sojourn is breaking down. Uh, verse 16, listen to this. The Apostle Paul is writing this to the church of Corinth. He says this, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Wow. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, once you become a new creation, once you become a new creature, you don't see other people from a worldly perspective. We don't allow our differences to divide. What we see is people who are justified by faith in Christ Jesus. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't subject them to our cultural preferences, but rather we say you are loved in Christ. You are meaningful in Christ. You matter in Christ. We may have different preferences and see things different way, but we are one in Christ. And we are a part of his new creation. Uh, the fourth and final image is the image of a cross, of a cross. So what's going to heal us from our preferences? Like what's going to heal us? What's going to heal me from my like, my selfishness? What's going to heal me from majoring in the minors? What's going to heal me from trying to measure everyone up by my standard? And that's what we do, right? Like we seek justification by looking at someone else and we often bring it back to us because we're very inward focused people because really outside of Jesus Christ and his grace and the Holy Spirit is all about us. Like I don't want to be a, a good preacher. I want to be a better preacher and not a better preacher than me most times when I'm in my flesh is a better preacher than someone else. And you don't want to just be pretty or handsome. You want to be prettier or handsome than the next person. And you don't want to be successful at your job. You want to be better at your job than someone else. And you don't want to have a good vacation. You want to have a better vacation than the person on Instagram who just posted about their vacation. Because our hearts are wicked and our hearts bring everything back to us. And what's going to help us to not find our identity in these things that can be taken away and these things that don't satisfy, these things that, that don't give us hope and, and, and that don't give us joy, these things that are causing us to chase the wind. What's going to give us hope is this last image, and that's the image of a crucified Savior. Notice this language that the Apostle Paul is going to use. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God, for God. Was it, what does it mean to live for God? What does it mean to live for God? Because for some of us, to live for God is to just do good works 
and to come off a certain way in our Christian walk so that people think we're awesome. Paul says, no, to live for God is to live by faith in the Son of God. To live for God is to die to the law and this notion that I can be right with God by appeasing this law or by doing this law. He says, I died to that notion. And I believe here he means that he died to that notion when Christ died. But there's something else that's that's really interesting here is that he literally probably like died to that notion. No one can keep the law. The law is a awful slave master. It just beats us and beats us and beats us. And if we're honest with ourselves and real, it, it, it takes us down, not because the law is evil or the law is bad. No, the Bible says the law is good. It was given not as a cure, though. It was given as a mirror to show us that we can never satisfy it. And so that we would yearn for one who could. He says, "Lo, I, I gave up living for the law a long time ago so that I may live for God. I encountered this guy on a Damascus road and I cried uncle. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is a powerful verse about our identity as, as Christians. Like I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ died, I died. When Christ was nailed to the tree, uh, my uh, notion that I am somehow justified by anything other than him died. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What if, what if, what if we as a church, what if we as a church during this last song, song to the Lord, and as we song, we pray together, Lord, help, help us to die to ourselves and to live in Christ. Like what would happen, Sojourn Community Church, if we, if we begin to truly put our, set our face on Christ's cross and identify with Christ's cross more than anything else, more than, more than the American dream, uh, more than this, this notion of, of success through economic means, more than trying to, to live up to a, 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 a father's standard or a mother's standard or our own standard. What if we said what, what it means to truly live for God is to die uh, to ourselves and these, these things that we have reconstructed that says this is what means, it means to be successful. What if we said no, to, to truly have a life that matters is to identify by faith in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And what motivates us to do this? It's the fact that he loved me and that he gave himself for me. The love of Christ is what should motivate us to live for Christ. John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son He so loved the world that he allowed his only son to come and to die. Like if you have this notion of Christianity, if you have this notion of God 
as this, this taskmaster and this evil father or this father who's always upset with you. You don't understand the God of the Bible. God delights in you and he sent his son to die for you. The Bible says while you were yet still a sinner and that there's nothing uh, in you uh, 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 that can make you right with God and that can make you love him other than you placing your faith and trust in his son. For some of us, what we have to do is we have to wipe our father's faces off of God the Father. For some of us, what, what God is calling us to do is, to, is to, to wipe off this notion that God is angry with us and upset with us every time we sin or fall and he's in heaven and he's like a security officer kind of looking at the monitor, just waiting for you to mess up and waiting for, to hit that gavel or to buzz you uh, so, that, so that you can be punished. No, this picture that we have of God the Father is a, is a picture of a loving father who allowed his son to die for our past, present, and future sins and who declares over us, uh, even though we are imperfect and even though we are going to sin and make mistakes, that we are righteous and who covers us with his son's righteousness. Just as he covered Adam and Eve in the garden, took off those scrappy fig leaves and put something on them that was more whole. So God in Christ Jesus has covered you. And he did it because he, listen, God loves you. Oh, but Pastor Jamal, if you understood the way I struggled this week, and if you just knew my thoughts, if somehow my thoughts were transported on that screen, you wouldn't say that. Listen, Christian, God loves you. But, 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 but Pastor Jamal, you don't, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm unlovable. If you just knew, if you knew my story or my, or my family, God loves you, you. And he is inviting you to a deep, intimate relationship with them. He's inviting you to delight in his son, Jesus Christ. His son who came down uh, 42 generations his son who lived a perfect, sinless life, his son who was mocked and ridiculed and mistreated and beaten, who was uh, hung high and stretched wide on Golgotha's hill, who was cursed by the very people he created and, and put in a borrowed tomb. His son came for you and he died for you. And he rose from the grave and defeated death for you. And he is sitting on the right hand of the Father for you. And he has declared that he's coming back again to make all things right for you, for his church, for his bride, for his ecclesia, for those he has called out. And he delights over you and he sings over you. And this is by grace through faith, not of works. Least any man can boast for you. Messy old argumentative you. White line you, putting your best foot forward and saying you're fine all the time when you're actually falling apart, you and me. And ladies and gentlemen, that's grace. That's God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved kindness towards us. Look at Paul concludes here. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. A Christian setting aside the grace of God is like a, a spot. 
spider setting aside its ability to make a spider web. It's just whack. Why would you do that? You're a spider. You make cool stuff out of a web. Make it. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul says, Peter, Peter, make sure you understand if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died for nothing. This is why I had to confront you face to face. Because even though I know you know this gospel, you're not drinking deeply from it because you removing a table fellowship from your Gentile Christians is sending a message to other people, though I know you don't believe it, that righteousness comes through the law. So four questions. Number one, what well are you drinking from? Is it the gospel? When you think about a conflict you have with a brother and sister of Christ, are you taking that conflict through the gospel? Are you seeing yourself in light of a holy and righteous God? Are you seeing yourself in light of a, a savior who humbled himself to the point of death? Are you allowing that vision of forgiveness and reconciliation to compel you to go for other people? Two, do you see yourself in God's courtroom as one who's been justified by faith in Christ alone? Three, how are you rebuilding what Christ has torn down? And even as you interact with other people, are there principles? Are there things that you just, that so much matter to you that you're putting on other people as if uh, to do this means, uh, uh, makes them right? Will you give them the freedom to fail, to, to make mistakes, to, to see things differently than you? Fourth, are you looking to Christ's cross and to his son who died for you and who loves you by grace? Or are you looking to something or someone else for your identity? And if the answer is something or someone else, today God gives us an opportunity to repent, to turn back to him, and to find our identity in a person, Jesus Christ. And every Sunday when we gather together, we take a meal called communion. This meal helps to center us as God's family to remind us of God's goodness. We'll taste and see that the Lord is good. We eat this bread and we taste and remember the goodness of God as seen in this crucified son whose body was broken for us. And we drink from this cup and this cup reminds us of, of Christ's blood and how it was shed for us. The Bible says as often as we take this meal together as a family, we do it to remember Jesus. And we take it every week because every, we, every day we need, to, we need to remember Jesus. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake of this meal, but rather we hope that you would, would take Christ by faith. In just a second, I believe we have the prayer chapel open tonight. Um, if you want to pray uh, with a pastor or with a member, uh, you can go into the prayer chapel. We would love to pray with you. Um, if you want to just sit there and just reflect on, on what you heard and to pray to God, the prayer chapel will be open for you to do so. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. Let's pray.